Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me for a Texans midweek look and some Astros talk is Sports Radio 610 Sean Buzani. We'll be doing this midweek regularly along with our Texans postgame show. So hit subscribe on YouTube to get notified for our latest shows. And if you don't know us, you're getting 40 years combined in sports journalism between us, 35 years covering Houston sports, so you're in good hands. And Sean, the Texans put Justin Britt on the injured list for personal matters this week. Any word on why? Uh, nothing you know, um, official, obviously, I mean, you've heard what I've heard, what everybody else has heard, and that's Lovey Smith and every player and coach remaining buttoned up and tight-lipped about it. Um, I can tell you this, that um, it was last week on the third straight day of missed practice by Justin Britt. I did hear uh, a rumor that he was uh, going to retire. So, that was after that Lovey Smith had said he would update us later on in the day. Well, that update came via an email and it just said, Britt is officially out, <laughs> you know, for the Sunday game. Well, between Lovey's comments and that email, I had already written my retirement article. <laughs> I had the thing <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> and so I just kind of put that on hold for now. Um, I hope I don't have to publish that this year. I, you know, Britt takes a lot of criticism for some reason. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, look, I, is he the greatest center in the NFL? No. Um, you know, did he make a lot of mistakes um, in his first game? Yes. Um, and did he sit out the entire preseason and, with people scratching their heads wondering why if you're going to look like that in your first game? Yes. Okay, I get that. But the guy's clearly going through a personal issue, and it's a private deal. Um, numerous people asked numerous times today um, in Lovey's availability about it, and I don't think anybody will be asking another question in regards to Justin Britt <laughs> going forward. Um, the next thing that we'll hear will come from the team, and hopefully it's good news. Yeah, and I get the impression that, I think some of the mental stuff was bothering him after the first game and he's having a little trouble dealing with it. Um, Aaron Wilson has talked a little bit about that. It covers the Texans. And, you know, on Monday I watched the Broncos game again, Sean, and posted clips showing the O-line mistakes. Nearly all of it looked mental. You wonder how much of it had to do with Britt's absence since he's the quarterback of that group. Titus had a bad game and I understand he was really close with Britt. It also makes uh, me go back to the preseason and the point that you made where, you know, this group didn't play much together in the preseason. And I know the thinking is, but they took a ton of snaps together in practice. But my response is, and, and this is what I just don't understand. And this goes to the Laramie Tunsil not playing as well. And I don't know who's making these decisions, but there's a lot more unknown when you play against another team. So I think it's better to play against another team during the preseason and you have somewhat of a crowd. So you simulate game situations in, in that circumstance. We just reached the point where NFL teams are not going to risk it though. Um, they're not going to risk playing their starters against, um, you know, another team in a meaningless game uh, just for the sake of game reps. And it's unfortunate, like, you know, to be quite frank, it, it, it infuriates me because we can ask the question, 
all day long until we're blue in the face. Hey, you know, why didn't you play these guys in the preseason? You talk so much about continuity and chemistry and communication. And these are all things that can be simulated. And, you know, uh, the mistakes can be made in the preseason and adjusted for the regular season. Because a coach will tell you, any coach will tell you, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, that, hey, look, there are certain things you cannot replicate in a game, and that is intensity. Well, in some of the most intense moments over the course of the last couple of weeks for the Houston Texans, in which they've had opportunities to go down and tie and or win football games, there have been miscommunication issues. And there is such a miscommunication or rather a communication gap between the questions that we're asking and the players and coaches that are answering them. They very well know what we're talking about, but they tend to give you a response in terms of what they believe we mean by communication. I know they talk. I know they talk on and off the field. I know they hang out with each other and play spades and ping pong in the locker room. And it's, you know, all good. But at the end of the day, when a defense is stacking eight guys in a box and you only have six freaking dudes to block those eight guys and Laramie Tunsil just egregiously lets a defensive end come free, untouched, not even looked at or breathed upon, that costs you massive yardage in a big time situation. Like that's, that's the communication gap that we're talking about. And we're, we're not going to get the answers verbally. We're going to get the answers with action. And hopefully that's much sooner than later. And hopefully it starts on the road this Sunday in Chicago. Two thoughts on Laramie Tunsil, and I'm glad you brought his name up. Number one, Laramie Tunsil is a really talented player. And 95% of the time, he does a great job. But I've seen too many mental mistakes. I've seen too many times where he's trying to do somebody else's job instead of his own job. And that's just in these first couple of games, but we saw it in the past as well. The second thing about Laramie Tunsil, I hear a lot of Texans fans go, let's trade Laramie Tunsil right now. Let's get rid of him. You know, I don't like Laramie Tunsil. He's not the future, blah, blah, blah. Two things. Uh, Larry Tunsil is not an old man. Uh, he's got a lot of years left in the NFL. Tackles last a long time. That's number one. Number two, if you trade Larry Tunsil right now, he's still doing a lot of great things for you. He makes life a lot better for your struggling quarterback. That It would only be struggling more if he was feeling pressure because Charlie Heck or Titus Howard is over there playing left tackle. That's one thing. The second thing is, you know, you're not only would you not have him this year and not have a, a, a probably a starting caliber left tackle this year, but you go, okay, well, we'll get one in the draft next year. We'll get a left tackle. Well, that's a learning curve. So you're talking two, three, four years down the road. Why? Why is there an urgency? Who is on the roster making all this money? It's not like we have a quarterback that's coming up and it's going to be asking for $50 million. We don't have a lot of talent anyway. Just let it be. He's fine. I mean, I, I want him to be better, especially for what you're paying for him and for what you gave up for him. But that's more on the old regime. That's not Laramie Tunsil's fault. So I don't understand that narrative at all, as much as I get frustrated with Laramie Tunsil at times. I'll just say this. I mean, look, fans will fan. Um, and that's one of those overreaction uh, type things. Now, if he was traded in the offseason, I don't think we were would have really blinked twice at it. 
It's acquiring draft capital. It's shedding a large amount of money um, on your payroll. And of course, um, you know, those things can be kind of tricky depending on what you're getting in return and dead money and how much you're going to have to pay another team to take somebody off your hands. I don't know. You know, depends on the kind of deal that you're getting. But I just don't think if that would have happened in the offseason that it would have really hit home. I mean, it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's uh, millions and millions of dollars that are off the books and it's in year one of a rebuilding year. But there's the key. It's really year one of the rebuilding year, not the teardown anymore. Last year was just last year. You had that guy coaching this team and it was just an utter disaster. Um, this is about a youth movement. They're going to give these young players, these rookies, every opportunity to learn how to win. This is a team that's not supposed to be winning these games um, that we've seen them have a chance to in the first couple of weeks. They're not supposed to. This team is supposed to be trash. They're supposed to be garbage. They're not supposed to be good. They're supposed to be a bottom five team. Well, you know, quite similarly to, you know, the stance or not the stance that you took, Robert, but kind of the fandom that you decided to point to in your argument against Tunsil, it's the same thing. I mean, if you know this team is supposed to be bad, then, you know, just shut up and watch. And let's see how bad they're going to be. Because to me, this season, yeah, they might not be a very good football team, but they got a lot of young players that are going to be a part of the future. They're going to be a part of a good football team here with the Houston Texans. I do believe that. And they need players like Laramie Tunsil, like Mario Addison, like Jerry Hughes, um, you know, to help bring those guys along. And those guys that could be budding stars like a Jonathan Grenard. Um, and there aren't many of those, but there are some that should get people really excited if you really love football and if you really want a good football team back in your city again. Yeah, a couple things. I, I got to see players develop, but I need to see some more from this coaching staff. And, and I want to hit something that you and I haven't really hit a whole lot. But first, we need you to subscribe, like, and comment on YouTube for everybody out there. It's a great way to sh support the show. And Sean, most of the focus is on the Texans' offense, but they've given up the second most yards per game in the league, which gets washed over because they're the 11th best team in points scored. So, you know, it's a little bit of both, but you wonder, can they keep this up? Can they keep up a defense that's not <laughs> getting anybody off the field? Even when you think they know the run is coming, they're terrible. And you, I, you and I have talked about it in the postgame. If they can't stop the Bears, who have no passing attack, <laughs> none to speak of, you know, then Lovey isn't who... I thought he was because this is about them um, basically stop and contain the second level stuff is, is the issue. And it seems like uh, the defensive line that, you know, is, there are some young guys there. That's one issue, but I don't know if there are the problem as much. I think it's veterans that don't seem to know where they're supposed to be on the second level. And this bears game is going to really freak me out. If I see the bears running up and down the field on the Texans. Lovey did point to, um, you know, some holes in his defense, uh, in particular against the Broncos this past weekend. Um, it was the right play call that he'd said, but guys just weren't in the right position to make those plays. He didn't go into specifics. Um, he just said, you know, those things are going to happen, and you kind of kick that stuff under the rug and, you know, correct those mistakes in the week. 
and don't let them happen again the following week. Like, no defense is perfect. No particular player is going to pitch a perfect game in whatever role that they have. There are going to be mistakes made. But I do have real questions about his defense going up against certain offenses and skill sets of quarterbacks, you know, guys like Russell Wilson and even Justin Fields, who is obviously a guy who is not shy about trying to make um, plays happen and extend plays with his feet. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Also very similar, um, you know, the Bears have two young rookies, uh, two second round picks in their secondary, just like the Texans. It's going to be interesting to see which quarterback can kind of expose who and kind of get their game going down the field this weekend, if anything at all. I know you mentioned the run game. Uh, that That's a heavy point of emphasis, you know, on Lovey Smith, as I'm sure it has to be uh, for Matt Eberflus in Chicago. Uh, looking at what the Texans are doing run game-wise and emerging talent in Damian Pierce, um, who's seen an increase in usage. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, if this Texans linebacker core is, you know, going to be up to par this week, um, despite, you know, having two weeks under their belt and a lot of mistakes um, still yet to be corrected, if we're going to see that week three against the Bears, they need Garrett Wallow. They need Christian Harris to have a full arsenal of linebackers to go with because those two guys are supposed to be pretty damn good. And, you know, we just haven't seen anything from them in training camp, in preseason, and certainly not to this point in the regular season. So a lot to be desired yet for the Texans defensively. And let's check their schedule because they don't exactly have a murderous row coming up in their schedule. Here are the net points for their upcoming opponents. Bears minus eight. Next up, the Rams. They're minus 17 so far on this season. Jacksonville is the juggernaut of the next four games. They're at plus 18. Maybe they're dangerous. We're going to find out more this week against the Chargers. Although I don't know if the Chargers are going to have their starting quarterback. The Raiders, minus 17. So, you know, the Texans, they got a shot to win some games here coming up if they can get their act together. I saw you tweet that out the other day, and it's a really good observation. The the thing that I kind of want to press pause, though, on is just the fact that we're two weeks in. And, you know... Football is is a game of, you know, tendencies, and we magnify them like no other, and particularly in football rather than baseball because it's such a long season. You know, there's a, a massive uh, there's massive room for ebb and flow. We see it every year with every team, with every player. In football, it's kind of interesting to me because yes, now you have 17 regular season games up from 16. It's still a very short season. It, it can be a long season, but it can get old very fast. Two games in, I want to press pause on even Davis Mills, his completion percentage, his struggles on the road, which he's only been on just seven times. He's one and six on the road, just like he's one, six and one at home. But his overall stats show that he's, you know, closer to being a Pro Bowl level quarterback at home versus than that of on the road. All of these stark differences with these stats, they're still just two weeks old for the most part when you go by um, some of the ones that you just mentioned. So I kind of want to press pause because I think it's probably got to take, Robert, what 
these are stats that I'd be interested in us going back and looking at the first, what, three, four, maybe five weeks max into a season before you really know who your football team is and what they're going to be capable of. I think you generally have a good idea of that. Two weeks in, ah, I don't know. Yeah, there was that Bill O'Brien coach team. Remember that team that uh, they started off real slow and then they won 11 straight. But 0-2, oh, that was, wasn't that the 0-2 oh, year? And there was this stat, oh, teams that start 0-2, oh, there's like an 11% chance that they make the playoffs. Well, the Texans happen to be one of those teams <laughs> you know, that made the playoffs after an 0-2 oh, start. I'm not talking about this being one of those teams. They're not 0-2. They're 0-1-1. Well, a team that ties within the first two games, 70% of the time, guess what they don't do? Make the playoffs. This team isn't about trying to make the playoffs. I mean, they are, but we know what we're likely going to see and what we want to see, and we need to see improvement. We need to see who those guys are going to be, you know, for this organization, for this team, this franchise next year and beyond. Yeah. And the only thing that really scares me right now is Davis Mills scares me because he looks scared. And, 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 and I don't say that lightly because it looks like he's got the yips in the fourth quarter. It, I, I don't throw out choker or anything like that. Something ain't right in the fourth quarter. He, he's, he's getting sacked left and right, which he isn't getting sacked left and right in the first three quarters. And, you know, he's just, he, he, he's going away from his fundamentals. You know, he's trying to throw off his back foot. A lot of his throws are high, and that's going on throughout the game. But the fourth quarter, it's been especially bad. And that's a good point. You know, it's going on throughout the game. And if he can't correct it in those situations that aren't deemed crunch time, um, then what do we expect from him in less than two minutes when he's trying to go down and tie and or win a game in those situations? You know, you go back and look at his stuff all the way even in college, which, by the way, I think this is an interesting anecdote here, a little nugget for you. Sunday against the Bears is going to be his 14th game started in the NFL, okay? He only played a total of 14 games in college. You go back and look at his college career in his final season at Stanford in 2020. It was a shortened season. COVID jacked everything up. He only played in like six or seven games, whatever it was. And I went back today and actually was trying to figure out, like, how many close games did this dude actually play in where he had opportunities to go down and tie and or win a game? He, in fact, played in three of those games out of his final four in the regular season in 2020. They were all games decided by three points or less. And those were games in which he had led late drives, scored touchdowns, put him in position to kick field goals and win games. He's only had one of those games prior to this season, and that was week five last year against the New England Patriots, but he had 15 seconds to do so on the clock in the fourth quarter. So these are opportunities that aren't are very foreign to Davis Mills, just as much as he talked about today going and playing games on the road, the difference in preparation on the road versus home. It's still foreign to him, and his numbers are atrocious on the road in comparison to what he's done at NRG at home. And I still think it's such a small sample size to be so, um, you know, stern about a judgment on this guy. I know what we've seen hasn't looked good. And I agree with you. And a lot of people that have said that, eh, does he have the yips? You know, does he look a little shaky and scared and shook in the pocket late in games? Yeah, I think so. And, but you know what? Getting clobbered from your blind side 
when your $19 million a year left tackle supposed to be protecting your ass, you know, that can kind of do it to you. And I think it's just going to take a little bit of time, but it's, he's on a different clock as a quarterback in the NFL than the rest of us are. His clock is ticking. Yeah. And you make a great point. And Deshaun, you know, I talked about him being good in the clutch. Well, he had a lot of practice in college and he played in a lot of huge games. So we got to take all of that into account. I, I want to talk about the Astros, but before I get there, a reminder that I'm putting up an interview with former Chicago bear, Corey Wooten tomorrow. And yeah, we preview Sunday's game, but you'll also want to hear what he said about playing for Lovey Smith. Wooten played for Lovey for three seasons. He's now out of the NFL. So I think this is a pretty honest take on Lovey. Stay tuned for that. All right, Sean, let's move to the Astros. I've said before that Jose Arquiti was the likely fourth playoff starter. When I said that, I was referring to what I expected the Astros to do because they've loved Christian Javier out of the bullpen. Me personally, I prefer Javier over Urquidy in the rotation. Javier, he's got way better stuff, Sean, and he can shut down any lineup. Yeah, you know, if you pro- he maybe needs like a little bit more projection, like maybe a little bit more time, I think, for people to feel comfortable, um, you know, looking forward. But his stuff is absolutely sick. I mean, you think about like, compare him and like uh, Framber, right? I mean, their ability to just pound the lower half of the zone when they need to is is really remarkable. But Framber just seems to not miss. He doesn't elevate the ball and give guys a chance to hit it out of the yard at all. You know, that's the thing you worry about with, I think, Christian Javier is as, as electric as he can be on the mound and as dominant. You know, he does elevate that ball at times and give hitters a chance and he's made some costly mistakes this year. You know, guys can drive the ball out of the yard. So that's what I kind of worry about. But in terms of like overall dominance and like being comfortable with the guy, what he's done for you this year, I mean, there's no question guy. Again, I go back to my point that I made previously when we're talking about the Texans, you're not going to pitch a perfect game quite literally. You know, I don't expect Christian Javier to pitch a perfect game, but he gives you a great chance. And I think a better chance uh, to win Considering a lineup that Robert offensively, this Astros team is doing it differently this year. You know, they're not putting up seven, eight, nine runs, you know, every game like we've seen this offensive juggernaut before in the past. They're winning games in a variety of different ways. Um, and so I think you're going to need a guy that can go a little bit deeper in games and have some stronger, more electric stuff at, you know, junctures of fifth and sixth and maybe seventh innings. Yeah, we make a big deal about Javier's done it out of the bullpen in the playoffs, but so has Urquidy. He can do it. He, yes. he gets going pretty quickly. He throws strikes. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was that, you know, since Trey Mancini's joined the Astros, and I don't know if this is how you were looking at things, Sean, but he's hitting around 200, 700 OPS as we record this Wednesday. So his number's not as good as when he was with the Orioles. So I, I it's a short sample size, but... Not sure if this is a controversial statement, but I'm putting a Ledmus in the lineup over Mancini in the playoffs, not because he's necessarily struggling, but because if you think they're pretty much close as hitters, which I do, I like a Ledmus because he makes more contact. He's just one of those guys that in the playoffs and you're going up against some great stuff. I trust a Ledmus a little bit more. And Sean, he only needs to be a DH because Jordan is the best defensive left fielder 
on the roster and he should be playing left field in the playoffs. He's thrown out seven guys in 50 games. You know, there's no question about it. He's the best left fielder on the roster. Yeah, there's no question. You know what I'm, I'm curious about, too, with Mancini? And you're right on the numbers. They do make me nervous offensively. But what I'm curious about with Mancini, I think about this with uh, a lot of players. And I'd like to see a really good sample size of maybe something over the course of at least the last five years. Guys that have been traded, you know, at uh, beyond the midway point of a season. Their performance on the road versus their new home ballpark. You know, is there anything to that, in particular if they stay in the same league? You know, because there was so much made of Mancini not playing the field because of that weird, quirky corner at, you know, at Minute Maid, and, well, he's not a great left fielder, and da-da-da-da. Man, you know, I looked at it like this, kind of side-eyeing it. Yeah, it's a weird corner, okay? Um, and he played, I think, in what, mostly right field in Baltimore, um, with that gigantic left field they have out there that goes like 400 to the power alley, fine, whatever. But you're a major league baseball player. I trust that you can catch a fly ball. <laughs> okay. I look at it from a very simplistic standpoint of view first. And then, yes, figure out the other intricacies. But I'd be interested to know those numbers. And if, in fact, they are telling, certainly the Astros and all ball clubs would know that. And if, in fact, the Astros would be entertaining the idea of employing that for a postseason, because I fully agree with you with Oledmus Diaz, what he's done since he's been an Astro, he's an absolute threat defensively, no matter where you put him. But in particular, this season at the plate, he's come through, I feel like, almost in every clutch situation. I know that's not the case, but that's the feeling you get with Oledmus. He's a very scary guy to face off the bench in a pinch hit role or in a platoon situation as he's been in most of the season, uh, there's no roll of the dice for me. I mean, I'm trusting my eyes, and I think we've all seen the same thing. I'm putting a litmus out there. Yeah, he's really been locked in, especially the last couple of months. A little bit of a slow start, but once he got rolling and was playing a little bit more regularly, he's been on fire. And uh, last thing I had on the Astros, Sean, I, I raved recently about Kyle Tucker defensively, but I know you like to talk a little bit about his offense. 100 RBIs for a full-time outfielder. The first time an Astros done that as a full-time outfielder since Carlos Lee. Are you kidding me? And that's been a little while. You know, Carlos Lee, um, you know, he was hated on a little bit here when he became a Houston Astro, had a hell of a career here, and obviously before uh, Drayton McLean and the Astros made that trade. But what Kyle Tucker has done, you know, it, it, it's almost – it's almost a disservice, right? Because we pay so much attention to guys like Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez. And I mean, you look around all over the ballpark and there are guys that are stealing this guy's uh, shine a little bit. Um, even to Jeremy Pena, um, Kyle Tucker's been an absolute masher of the baseball um, and run producer for this team this year at an enormous rate. I mean, you think about 100 RBIs, the way that the baseball, with the way that the game is played this year and everything's so specialized and there's so many home runs being hit. I mean, who's on base to drive anybody in these days? Kyle Tucker has really um, been impressive this year. And it kind of makes me think like, man, George Springer could have probably done this years ago if, in fact, he wasn't hitting leadoff. Maybe if the Astros would have bumped him down in the order a little bit and made him a four hitter or something like that, which... 
I don't know. He probably did a handful of times during his career here, but certainly not when he was swinging the bat like he did at the leadoff spot, which worked for him fine, and the Astros won a World Series that way. Um, but if the Astros could continue to keep this thing going and Kyle Tucker leading the charge, um, which I think is super impressive. It could have been Jordan Alvarez with 100 RBIs well before Kyle Tucker this year, and at one point it looked like Alex Bregman might catch him both. Um, I, I think that's just a testament to what this Astros ball club has tended to do, especially in August and September going into October over the last five years. And guys are going to get hot at the right time, and you're seeing it right now with a number of these guys, and Kyle Tucker's certainly one of them. Maybe the most complete hitter or most complete player in right field in baseball. Hey, right has now. he lived up to the nickname, The Kid, yet? He's getting there. I don't, he's not going hit, to be hitting 330 or 350, or he's not doing that sort of Ted stuff. But the other stuff, Ted wasn't that kind of fielder either. So take that uh, into account. Uh, the Rockets' first preseason game is 11 days away. Sean, can you believe it? I was going to say, can you believe it? It's crazy. I mean, uh, the city's the city could be on fire here, you know, uh, here in just a couple of months, man. You know, if the Rockets come out, they have a pretty good showing. I expect them to be fun, entertaining, and play some electric basketball this year. I'm not ex expecting them to vie for a serious playoff spot. But, I mean, man, if the Astros can make another deep run in the postseason, if the Texans can, um, you know, turn things around a little bit, play some competitive football, um, and if they can get some just better ball out of Davis Mills, period. I mean, I think the city's going to be excited again about, about all three of its sports, potentially. The Rockets will have a better offense, my prediction, than the Texans have uh, this year. That's I will not touch that with a 10-foot pole. I fully agree with you on that one. Definitely more, I'll say this, definitely more entertaining than just one guy. Um, and by that, I mean Damian Pierce. I mean, the guy can't get the rock 60 times a game, but I Damn it, if he could, I'd try to make it happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping to see even more of him this coming week. And I want to remind everybody, if you like our content and you want us to continue doing this, please spread the word about us. Get your friends to subscribe to us. Check out my weekly conversation with NFL fantasy expert Andy Rio. Find some of my nearly 300 interviews on our YouTube playlist, Astros, Rockets, Texans, Cougars, even a couple of Olympians. If you got, If you go to... A playlist called HST Podcast Shorts. There are more than 130 clips averaging two to four minutes from conversations that are perfect when you need a quick work break. And I know a lot of you out there could use a quick work break, break every now and then. So check that out. I know, Sean, we're looking for sponsors. If anybody out there is interested, uh, shoot, us, uh, shoot us a line. You can find the email on HoustonSportsTalk.net. Uh, but you know how to get a hold of us on, on Twitter as well. 100%, 100%. Uh, you know, we're going to be doing this all season long for the Texans, have a midweek show going all season long. We're excited about it. I love talking sports with you. Um, love, uh, uh, you know, going off of the pulse of the city, man. And so uh, we want to hear from you. Give us the pulse of the city uh, from you, the listener. And we'll look forward to it the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. We're going to have some Rockets conversations as well with guests along with me and Sean. Uh, and we'll move forward with that. The Astros playoffs are coming up. I'm going to do some post-game shows with my old co-host, Steven, as well. So a lot to look forward to. It's going to be a busy October, too. Uh, thanks so much for doing this, Sean. We'll talk to you again on Sunday. Yes, sir. Always fun. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. 
Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.